This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture, contentperformance.com. Today, I want to talk about friction. So this is, of course, an interesting topic. Um, There's lots of friction happening out there, whether it's internally for your team, useless meetings, unnecessary meetings, don't get me going, how many hours I've wasted in meetings that could have been emails or not anything, quite frankly. And then, of course, we have friction on the consumer side of, as well, where things are not working, where it's just too difficult to, to do anything. Of, you know, we, we see that quite often. So Roger Dooley is today's guest, and he actually wrote the book, Friction. Uh, you can check that out, ctrap.online forward slash friction. Uh, that goes right over to his Amazon page. Instead of me giving you one of those long links, I thought that would be easier. Roger, how's it going? Doing great, Christoph. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. And, you know, you said something on social media somewhere that I thought was worth sharing with everybody. And I always love uh, connecting with people that way. Uh, so certainly appreciate the connection. Uh, let's talk about friction. What's uh, What prompts you to write the book and, and what do people need to know? Well, I, I got on this kick, I guess, because I've been working in the neuromarketing and behavioral science space for probably 15 years now. And the key concept there is that people's behavior is driven often by non-conscious factors. And anybody in sales, particularly consumer sales, but really any kind of sales uh, knows that, that uh, you know people don't buy the car just for the gas mileage or its resale value. There's a lot of other things that they can't even describe necessarily, but go into that purchase. Uh, and over time, I had people asking, well, how can I turn, uh, I, you know, how can I incorporate these non-conscious marketing cues? And there are a million, uh, the, everything from Cialdini's principles of influence to you know, 100 plus cognitive biases that all humans are subject to. Now, how can we incorporate these into our marketing? And so I created this little framework called the persuasion slide, uh, just based on the playground slide that kids go on and uh, forcible components. And we're not going to, we don't have to get into them all, but gravity or uh, gravity is the motivation that the customer comes with. And friction is what slows the progress down the slide. Or if you've ever seen a kid get stuck partway down a slide, it is, it can even stop progress. And over time, I realized that I was looking at different kinds of motivation and the easiest thing often in any kind of persuasion process is to reduce friction, to make that slide more slippery. And, you know, that's often so much easier than trying to bribe the customers in various ways. I mean, you can definitely do things to increase customer motivation, but uh, often it's e- better just to make it easier for them to buy. And so that got me thinking about friction and the book sort of morphed into a grand theory of friction where not only do I look at friction in the customer journey, 
but also in the employee experience, in why some regions and nations succeed and others don't do quite as well, uh, and even in how we form good habits, break bad habits, and uh, sometimes have difficulty doing those things. And I tie it all together in terms of the science of effort. And it's, it's definitely not a science tome, but that's the current that underlies the entire book is that effort changes behavior. If there is wasted effort in something, you will probably get less of that thing. If you reduce effort, you may well get more of that behavior. And that applies in really all spheres of life. So much to unpack. Unbelievable. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, so, you know, as we talked about, let's unpack the consumer thing first. Uh, and I, and I, I wrote down here, but it's, but it's the consumer's fault. And especially when it comes to software, right, Roger? I mean, I had Scott Brinker on the show talk about the uh, thousands and thousands of software companies. I mean, I've been in projects where, where I would test something or somebody would test something or we get feedback, you know, from customers and they would say, well, that's the, um, that's the consumer. <laughs> They're not yeah, using well, it correctly. I know. Well, that's the typical designer because, first of all, the people who create our websites and our mobile apps, you know, are pretty smart people and they know how to use these things. They Not only do they create them, they use other people's. And so, uh, you know, they create an interface that they know how to use. And if they ask the person at the next, next cubicle, at least if they were still in their office, uh, maybe now be the next person on the Slack list to uh, take a look at it. That person too is probably pretty experienced. Says, yeah, okay, this, this looks pretty good. I know how to, I, I can do that. That's easy. Everybody will figure it out. But then when they get a naive consumer in, and I've joked about the mom test of, uh, you know, have your mom try it out unless your mom happens to be a programming expert, uh, you know, see if she can do it or your grandmother, if you're young enough. Uh, and, you know, if they can't figure it out, if, if they hesitate, if they push the wrong button, the first tendency is to say, well, geez, they're doing it wrong. You know, you, you can't fix stupid, but it's not that those people are stupid. It's that your interface is not good enough. You know, it should be uh, so intuitive and obvious that virtually anybody can use it without having to puzzle over things. And, you know, you see these things all the time where you're supposed to push a next button or something and it's hard to see and it's in a strange place on the page. I mean, I've done that. I, I use a million websites and apps and I still have to hunt around for these things sometimes. And say, oh, yeah, that's I've got to scroll up to find that button. You know, and that's an obvious design error, but also things like weird little icons. You know, it's now everything is hidden behind these little menus that are three dots or three lines or there's a cryptic little thing that looks like a check mark. And what does that check mark do if I touch it? Is it going to you know, take me to another function? All these things that may be obvious to the designer can be very puzzling to the average or even slightly uh, less than average person. Don't get me started on the hamburger menu. We did have a show on that actually, uh, probably, I don't know, last year sometime. So if you guys want to go back, check that out. Also, a friendly reminder. The show is now available on Pandora. Yes, I'm still proud that we're on Pandora. Uh, less than 10,000 podcasts are on there. So check it out there as well. The hamburger menu is interesting because um, I figured it out by now, Roger, that if I can't find something, it's probably the hamburger menu or in the little wheel. <laughs> but right. it's not that obvious. 
Right. Yeah. The, uh, the gear for settings often has all kinds of strange things in there. And yeah, you know, I think increasingly people are getting used to that interface and maybe there will be a point in time where 99.9% of the people will intuitively look for those three lines and say, Oh, it must be, that must be how I access whatever it is I want to do. But uh, you know, it's, we're still not there yet. And uh, you know, it's just important that if you're ex expecting people to take that next step, to move down through the purchase process, for example, or even the information gathering process, you know, just make it obvious, make it so easy that they don't hesitate. And, and, and put it in front of people to, to be able to do it. So why, why does that, I mean, there's really two, there's a couple different use cases, right? So I know you write about the abandoned card and how much uh, people, how much companies are losing because people are leaving things in their card or they're not following through with whatever they're trying to purchase. Um, and some of that certainly is, I changed my mind, right? Or um, I was gonna buy another um, T-shirt of my favorite NFL team and my wife walked up and that's why I turned it off, right? <laughs> I don't need another one, quite frankly. Right, that's why you have to do your shopping uh, when you are alone so you don't get interrupted <laughs> like that. No, you know, actually, actually, Christoph, I think that uh, those, those are some reasons people do change their mind, but there have been some studies that looked at why people abandon carts and of the top reasons, m several are frictional in nature and including the top one or two. Uh, one is that the checkout process was simply too complex or confusing, mm -hmm. that it was taking too long. Uh, another is that you have to set up an account to check out. You know, not every e-commerce site requires you to establish an account with the company. Some make it very easy for you to say pay with PayPal or with some other type of payment method where it cuts your <clears> checkout time dramatically because you don't have to put in all your address information and all that other stuff. Uh, and you know, the, there are lots of little things like that that cause people to drop out of the process. And, you know, that is lost money. You know, you spent a lot of money to get those people to your website or to your app in the first place perhaps search ads, pay-per-click ads, um, mm -hmm. content marketing, social media advertising or marketing, all these these things that you devote so much effort to. And then to get them, you know, down uh, to use a football analogy, I hope we have football eventually, uh, you know, get them to the five-yard line and have them drop out uh, and give up. You know, that's that's just a big waste of effort. So the funny story uh, on, on that comment totally is I used to, uh, abandoned purchases because I couldn't buy it through PayPal. Or I couldn't buy it. like now Apple pays basically on everything on if you're on your uh, iPad. Uh, but it used to be I had to um, autofill my credit card and I could never remember what the, the uh, security code was. So I was like, well, I don't want to go and get my wallet, which is a whole room away. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, seriously, Christoph, that the need to complete a credit card transaction and perhaps find that stupid little code. I've, I've memorized most of mine, but I've got uh, with multiple cards, you know, every now and then you get a new card and it's a while before you remember it. Yep. And you hit that point and say, gee, I don't remember what it is. And my wallet's in the other room. So the heck with it. And it's such a simple thing to fix that, uh, you know, and the other thing I think is security. Uh, if you, if you're a really well-established brand, then I'm probably going to be relatively confident in giving mm -hmm. you my credit card information and so on. 
But if you are maybe not as well-known a brand, or even if you're a big brand, but I don't anticipate ever having to do business with you again, this is like a one-off transaction of some kind, then I don't really want to have my information on file on your server somewhere. Because even big brands get hacked. And, you know, that's, that's just one of those things that if I can avoid worrying about it, then I will. So I'll use PayPal or something, some other system like that, like Apple Pay or Google Pay or Amazon Pay or something. So it's, uh, you know, but brands don't realize that this little extra effort uh, matters. You know, another example of effort, a friend of mine in the UK, Peter Ramsey, did a really fascinating study of banking user experience. And he did, he actually went through and did several common things, including setting up an account and transferring some money internationally at 12 different banks. Now, this sounds like, uh, some kind of punishment, uh, you know, like the fifth circle of hell to have to set up a dozen bank accounts with different banks and go through their whole process. But uh, he is devoted <laughs> devoted to his craft and did this. And he found, for example, that the number of clicks needed to set up an account varied from a low of 24 in one bank to a high of 120 in another. You know, that is just a staggering difference in number of clicks. Now, clicks are not the only metric, of course. You know, some might have a very easy process with a few more clicks. That's that's fine. But you know, if you've got five times as many clicks, maybe uh, there are too many in there. And, you know, the story I like to tell is that of Jeff Bezos and Amazon, when back in 1998, they patented one-click ordering. And at that time, I remember uh, when they did that, a lot of people said, oh, they can't do that. It's too obvious. You can't patent something that's simple and stupid. Uh, but they did, and they were awarded the patent. And Barnes & Noble said, well, they can't do that, and implemented something similar on their website. They got locked in a big legal battle with Amazon, and Amazon spent millions of dollars to defend their patent and ultimately prevailed. And what did they accomplish with all that money and time? They forced Barnes & Noble to add one tiny little click to their checkout process. One click, that's all. Bar Barnes & Noble put in a confirm order click and that was it. You know, and uh, at the same time, you've got these brands and the other guy at the same time who said, okay, this one click ordering is pretty cool was Steve Jobs. You know, they were about to launch their music store and they did not try and work around the patent. They did not try and fight it in court. Instead, they paid Amazon a million bucks so they too could have that one-click advantage over their competitors. But then you look at these banks, for example, and it's not just banks. You can see these differentials in every industry and every type of business where one bank has you know, 100 more clicks practically than another one to accomplish the same process. And that, that's where the insanity really enters into it. It is. So I just signed up uh, before we started here, guys. We were Roger and I were talking about we were going to do a uh, live uh, live stream on LinkedIn. Uh, still use Switcher Studios for that, but here's the problem that has happened. My internet has gone down to below, to under five, whatever it is, Mbps. So super slow. It's like dial-up almost. So I'm getting new internet, Roger, and it was literally like a three-step, uh, three-click sign-up. Package um, or address, package, time for them to install it. <laughs> Like the easiest ever, no friction. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Uh, hopefully, if you need service, it will be equally low friction <laughs> because I've I found uh, internet service providers have some of the 
most tortuous customer service practices and processes out there. Uh, and I, I had a fight with um, one of my providers. I forget if it was my, uh, I think it was my ISP, uh, who uh, I got on an online chat and had this lengthy interaction with the customer service person who was actually trying to be helpful, but it was just that their processes did not allow her to solve my problem. And I was so steamed at the end of this lengthy chat that I said, okay, I'm actually going to answer that survey that I am. Usually I say, well, you want to complete a survey and I always just close the page and go because I don't, you know, who has time to complete surveys about everything you do online. But I said, okay, this time I'm, I'm going to let them have it. And when I got to the survey, what did they ask me? They didn't ask about whether I would recommend them uh, to a friend, like for a net promoter score. They didn't ask about uh, their processes or their practices or my overall satisfaction. They asked me about the person that helped me. They asked me to rate the representative. You know, was she courteous and helpful? Uh, and then they gave me a thousand characters to further explain my opinion of their representative. <laughs> you know, right. and it's, it's just so annoying. And my, my conclusion there is, Christoph, that brands often ask only the questions they want answers to and they avoid the questions that, to which the answers would be embarrassing. <clears throat> so if they did give you a net promoter score type question, uh, the, they would be afraid to show that to the CMO who would be afraid to show it to the CMO because they would realize how bad their experience is. And it's, it's better, better not to know. <laughs> right. So that kind of leads me to my next story. And then, then the, the question to you, Roger, is um, sometimes friction is all, like what you're describing. Um, it's certainly on purpose. And the example that comes to my mind, um, I was getting um, an email, email newsletter from one of the United States uh, senators or Congress people. I don't remember which uh, which part of that. It doesn't make any difference, quite frankly. Not from Iowa. So you guys can't guess who it is. But I tried to unsubscribe from the email. So I clicked unsubscribe. It opened another page. I had to type in my email address again because they don't have it, right, apparently, since I just clicked from that same email, total baloney, quite frankly. And then I had to verify that I'm human, you know, one of those. Right, click all capture, the fire hydrants. Capture, yeah. yep. <laughs> click all the fire hydrants, and I'm like, that's crazy. And then after that, I had to click another box to truly, that I, that I was really sure I wanted to unsubscribe. And then I think there was something else. I may have even blogged about something like that on authentic storytelling that now I'll have to take a look. But that friction is on purpose. So I don't unsubscribe. Right. Well, you know, that historically <laughs> has been something that brands less concerned about customer experience did back in the days when music did not come digitally uh, to your device. There were record clubs and perhaps you recall those things and CD clubs and such. Uh, and you would get a new album or CD every month. And they deliberately shipped that in packaging that you had to destroy. You had the right to return uh, any selection, but if you did want to return that, you would then have to figure out how to package up this awkward shaped thing and get it back mm -hmm. to them. And, you know, that still continues today. Uh, a while ago, I enjoy the occasional glass of wine and the Wall Street Journal has a wine club and they always have these really enticing offers to subscribe. Uh, they will ship you a full case of wine for a very, very inexpensive price, like cheaper than 
uh, not quite as cheap as two buck chuck, but uh, uh, you know, really inexpensive. And then throw in three extra bottles. I mean, they make it hard not to subscribe. So, and they tell you that okay, in twelve weeks we will ship you your next shipment, but you can cancel before then. So I signed up and I got the wine, and it was fine, but not necessarily the selections that I would want to pay somewhat regular price for. So I said, okay, I'm going to cancel. And I go to their website and there is a little thing that shows that I have auto renew on. It's like a toggle switch, but the toggle switch isn't clickable. Uh, there's a box I can check if I want to turn on auto renew or, you know, continue to get shipments, but there's no way to do that. Instead, I look, I click on the link and a pop-up box comes up with a lengthy paragraph that says, if you want to turn this off, then you have to call our customer service department and they don't provide the phone number. Uh, you have to hunt around elsewhere on the website to find the phone number. You call in, you go through a typical voice menu system where you have to listen to all the options because they changed recently. And uh, finally, you talk to a human who says, oh, you want to cancel, uh, turn off auto renew. Uh, you know, I can't do that. I'll, I will connect you to a person who can. <clears throat> so they dump you into another queue uh, who is the person that apparently has the power to turn off auto renew uh, and she then tried to talk me out of it after waiting for a little while in queue, of course, and hearing some voice menu stuff. And finally, uh, I just prevailed upon her. I said, no, no, I just want to turn off auto renew right now. And they were, they were going to delay my shipment. They were going to, you know, space it out, do things, different things, make it half shipment, all, you know, all these uh, crazy things. But I finally got her to turn off. But uh, I mean, they make it so easy. It's, it's like a roach motel, which is actually a name for a dark pattern where they're easy to get in, but impossible to get out. You know, what's interesting about that. So sometimes there's other ways you, you if you think about it, how you can just cancel things. Right. I mean, I, I think about all this travel that's been canceled in 2020 because of COVID. And, uh, you know, I stay in Marriott's uh, all the time. And I had one hotel in Germany that was not refunding my my money and even though that was clearly within policy so finally american express just refunded it <laughs> right and you can do the same thing of course that that just adds more steps but how do we get as a company let's let's assume we're being real with people let's assume we're not creating friction on purpose it just happened because who knows what committee meetings or or maybe or whatever um, how do we get all this friction out of our user experience? How do we make it simpler? How do we get out of the it's the consumer's fault mindset? Well, I think that observing user behavior is certainly our customer behavior is one way of doing it. Uh, you know, actually watch them. I, I think as a general principle, one of the things I suggest is that uh, ask yourself, what would Jeff do referring to Jeff Bezos because Amazon is customer centric in almost every single way. You know, I just returned something a few days ago. It was a product that was, the product itself wasn't defective, but it didn't quite meet my expectations or match quite up with the description uh, in the, in their, on their site. So uh, they immediately approved a return uh, and let me print a label so I could drop it off at UPS without any uh, charge for doing that. And by the next morning, I'm sure they had not received my return product yet. I had the money in my account, you know, and this is very so routine simple. with them. Uh, and, you know, they make it easy. And I used to be in the mail order business, uh, catalog business, uh, and I hated returns. I mean, returns were the devil because they cost you money. You know, you've got to 
do the customer service stuff. You've got to process the return in your facility. The product may not be saleable again, so you got to figure out what to do with it or whether you can push it back to the, whoever supplied it to you. And, you know, just their money readers all around. But uh, Amazon has embraced returns and said, okay, we realize that returns are a pain for the customer too. Nobody likes to have to rebox something and take it to the post office or to UPS or do something else with it. So they make it super easy. You can take it to one of their lockers. You can take it to a Kohl's. Uh, and you can even, if you destroyed your packaging, just like those old uh, record companies, if you happen <clears> to <throat> discard your packaging and you're stuck, you got the product, you realize it has to go back, you can take it to UPS and just that and your mobile phone, and they will scan your uh, return code and box it up for you. Uh, you know, they, and, and, Amazon and that, makes it so and, easy, even though it is not in the interest of the company to do that, it is in the interest yeah. of the customer to do that. And what's so interesting about that story, I mean, that's so I had to return something the other day and I just, I went to Kohl's and I hadn't done that in a while. And literally I looked at the this, uh, the instructions and I was like, really, <laughs> really? Is this how you do it? And you really just go there and drop off the thing and show them your phone. You don't have to do anything. And here's the difference. I returned something else to NFL shop. It's like a $43 item. Do you know how much mm -hmm. I got refunded? $27, $27. So $17 they kept for their shipping, right? And for Amazon, I know I'm a Prime member, but I literally just dropped it off while I was driving by Kohl's one day and it was so simple. In fact, I was kind of surprised. Um, that's a good tip. What would Jeff do? Um, let's, if we can shift to the uh, internal side of friction a little bit here. Um, so here you're talking about uh, problems within the company, right? What's a, what's a typical use case internally here? Well, people waste a lot of time in companies, often not through their own fault. It's because of mm -hmm. uh, bad processes, uh, rules that they think they're, they're, they're trying to follow or think they're following, uh, meetings, emails that aren't necessary. Uh, people spend a couple hours a day on average processing email, uh, and that's way more time than they should be spending on that. But it's you know it's so easy to create big distribution lists. It's so easy to... Uh, send somebody an email and immediately impose some kind of workload on them that maybe isn't really essential uh, for the company's uh, purposes. Uh, you know, meetings, there is so much time. Uh, there, are lot, there are a lot of stats out there that people spend um, more than half their time in meetings, depending on their exact role. Uh, I had a person working for me once uh, uh, in a rare corporate stint a few years ago. Uh, she was a product manager and was supposed to be uh, innovating, coming up with uh, product improvements, uh, you know, product extensions, uh, ways that we could do a better job for our customers, and, and so on and so on. And uh, it, it really wasn't uh, happening uh, very much. And so and I said, her, her problem was she was in 32 hours a week of meetings. Uh, I mean, that was a typical week for her, more than 30 hours in meetings. And, uh, you know, there may have been uh, you know, some, maybe uh, some individual issues here too, that uh, uh, she found too difficult to say no or, you know, whatever. But, but regardless, uh, this is all too common of a situation where people are included in things because they may be in a function that touches different areas, uh, especially in a product management. It's in, in sort of a matrix organization, you know, you touch all kinds of different areas. You touch sales, you touch marketing, you touch um, uh, IT and everybody. 
then, uh, you know, you, you waste so much time because you're not productive. And there, there's so many ways that meetings can be made better. I mean, people have written books about that, but, but I mean, that's just one example. And if you find that you or your people are in that kind of situation, you know, you really need to uh, take action. Uh, I think didn't Facebook just go with meeting free Wednesdays or something like that. Uh, uh, and there are some companies that have gone to um, meeting Mondays where that's the only day you can have a meeting. Uh, uh, same thing with emails. Companies have put limits on distribution lists that uh, if uh, you can't send an email to more than three people uh, and, you know, things, things like this that are kind of crude tools, but they, they may, they force people to think about what they're doing. Uh, and, you know, often it, the reason we have wasted effort is a lack of trust in companies. You know, we have procedures and rules because we don't trust people will get the job done right or do it the right way, or we don't trust them to be honest. You know, I think that probably anybody who has had a corporate job has dealt with expense reports and they are uh, certainly the, they were the bane of my existence uh, in corporate world because, you know, they're, they just take up time and it's, it's paperwork. You've got to figure out all these account numbers and stuff. And she is, does that, do I have a special billing code because this was for sales? You know, who knows? Uh, very time consuming. Uh, and uh, in this, in the, my example that I have in my book, even though I was a VP level person who could uh, even uh, fly international business and whatnot for the <clears> smallest <throat> expense uh, for a $2 cup of coffee in an airport, uh, I would have to furnish a paper receipt if I wanted to be reimbursed. <laughs> so whenever I submitted an expense report, uh, it was a you know, big wad of uh, little papers stapled to the uh, report itself. And then they, finally improved productivity, uh, apparently, or so they thought, by going to an electronic system, which now forced me and everybody else to scan the receipts or take a photo of them, uh, then somehow uh, attach those as PDFs or images uh, appropriately marked and coded to go with the right line item. It made it easier for the people on the accounting side to process but uh, it actually increased the work uh, for all of the people who were trying to comply with this when in fact, none of this was required by IRS regulations uh, and many companies have a much higher threshold for receipts. They simplify <clears throat> it. But uh, later on, after I had left the company and the person who was the chief financial guy at the time had also left the company, I connected with him. I say, asked him, I said, Hey, why did you guys do this? And he said, well, uh, mainly, we didn't trust that people wouldn't abuse the system. And I guess my message would be to trust people a little bit more. I have another great example from General Electric days of Jack Welch, when he was probably the um, most famous and most effective CEO on the planet. Uh, his legacy is maybe a little bit tarnished by what happened after uh, he left, but uh, regardless, uh, he did amazing things at GE. And one of the things he did was allow communication between everybody. In other words, uh, between functions, between high-level and low-level people, uh, so that uh, before, if you would have to go through channels. Uh, but uh, if a marketing manager wanted to talk to a guy on the shop floor, uh, you could do that. And uh, this had some really interesting effects. One of the things uh, that they did was have these sort of all-hands meetings where they had managers and hourly union employees uh, together and find out, well, what, uh, you know, what could be improved? And the most important question 
often was, how can we make your job easier? Now, if you're a uh, union person on the shop floor, having management say, how can we make your job easier? is not something you usually hear. It's like, well, how can we help you be more productive? Uh, and uh, one of these meetings, a guy piped up and said, well, I work on a machine uh, handling sharp metal all day. I go through a pair of work gloves every week. And to get a new pair, I've got to turn my machine off, go to another building, go to the tool crib, fill out a requisition form, find a supervisor to approve it, then go back to the tool crib, wait in line, get my gloves, and then go back to my building and my machine. And that could take an hour or two every week. And, you know, why do they have that in place? Because some manager at some point did not trust that if they put a box of work gloves by the guy's workstation, that he or other people wouldn't steal them all. So the quick solution was put a box of damn work gloves by the guy's workstation. And they did that. And no, they didn't all get stolen. Uh, and it saved you know, a couple hours a week. Plus it showed the person, the individual, that his time was valued by management, that you know he wasn't forced to go through this ridiculous process uh, for a $2 pair of work gloves. Yeah, it, it is unbelievable how much time we waste. And don't even get me started on travel costs. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got oh, on my, my travel site, travel reviews, that online, I got a blog post on why I always price first class because sometimes first class is cheaper than economy. Trust me, especially if you have to buy an extra legroom seat in economy. Um, but anyway, it's just, you know, all these rules that are just in place. It's crazy. Um, the other thing, Roger, I have noticed myself is um, you need uh, time to think, especially as a marketer, right? I mean, it's it's more and more complicated than ever. There's all these moving pieces. There's this automation. There's that automation. There's this campaign running. How does it all fit together? Are they being sent to the right salesperson? I mean, it has never been more complicated, I don't think. I mean, I'm just going to say that. Um, so we need time to think, right? So if we're in meetings all day long, when are we thinking? When are we doing? When are we doing those things? Uh, you know, the, the, the one thing I want to say on that is um, some meetings are important because, you know, I mean, you have to collaborate. You have to be a team. Um, certainly, we've talked about that before, but um, but we have to make it easier and, and do reduce that friction. Very interesting discussion, Roger. So, of course, they can find your book, ctrap.online forward slash um, friction. That, for, that sends you over to the Amazon landing page. Uh, you have the podcast, um, Brainfluence podcast that's available on all the different channels. Any other place where people should connect with you? Or, well, or I've check got you out? Uh, blogs at Forbes and also my newer marketing blog, but the best jumping off point for all my stuff is rogerdooley.com. And uh, there you can find my social links, my blog links, and pretty much everything else. Fantastic. And we should have started with this, Roger, but I, I kind of forgot about it. So Roger is an author, keynote speaker, podcast host, Forbes contributor, Friction Hunter. I think we covered that topic in depth, depth here, and hopefully you found that interesting. And then finally, Texas barbecue fan. Fantastic. Why is that on your list? Well, I think it is uh, important to show that uh, there's a little bit of a human side of you. And I've been in Texas now for over 10 years. And one of the great things about uh, the state and Austin in particular is the barbecue. There are so many good barbecue places that um, uh, it's really, you know, I think a major asset. There's also Austin is the live music capital of the world, although 
these days that's in jeopardy. I've just heard a story that because of the pandemic and bar closures and venue closures, uh, that many, many of those are in danger of going out of business permanently and whether they will reopen in you know, a similar way uh, is unknown. So I'm hoping that we can get past this and retain uh, all that wonderful live music we have here in Austin. Definitely be in, been an interesting year for sure and, and really unfortunate to see all the different uh, businesses closing and, and struggling and and uh, certainly there's a lot of marketers as well that have been laid off. So if, if you, know, you know if you hear that uh, and, and you have been laid off and you're out of a job, feel free to drop me a note to ctrap at gmail.com or authenticstorytelling.net on the contact form. Now, Roger, I have to think about what am I going to put on my profile? Uh, beer drinker, uh, I don't. I don't know. There's many. Right. Options, well, just just yeah, pick pick one idea. that fits that you can identify with, and uh, if you're called upon to explain it, that you can. I, uh, I'm also a craft beer guy, but uh, you can only <laughs> put so much stuff in the 110 characters, whatever it is that they give you. Right. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, and appreciate you sharing the insights. And hopefully, um, everybody can do a better job uh, getting rid of friction for your customers and also internally. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Stories win.